0: Hello and welcome to the first episode of the podcast that is yet to be named. Today, like I said in the introduction, which if you have not listened to the introduction, you probably should, because that is going to explain what is going on here. I want to talk about Christian music now. I previously recorded an edition of this. It took me about 40 minutes, and then I went back and decided that I hated it. And the reason for that was because it was not very organized, and so I have now organized everything very neatly into a lot of material. So we'll see how long this takes. But really, I want to talk a little bit about the different types of Christian music that we have and what kind of effect it has on people and some criticisms, complaints that I have with modern Christian music, and also uh, I want to shout out some good stuff and kind of describe what the ideal Christian music would be like. Uh, And I think some have already hit that, but we'll get to that later. So the first thing you got to understand when talking about different types of Christian music is you have to understand... Why do we listen to it in the first place? And when you ask that question, you turn up two answers. So, one is just your recreational music. There's two types of music here one is kind of recreational stuff, stuff you're going to listen to while you're doing some sort of task, folding laundry, or whatever. And another is worship music. And those two overlap quite a bit, but you can kind of you can kind of tell the difference. There, usually the more recreational stuff is music about the Christian lifestyle. Uh, it might be about interactions that Christians have together with people on the outside or anything like that. While worship music tends to be pretty, you know, hymn-like, you can tell it's either hundreds of years old or pretending that it's one of those songs that's hundreds of years old. And... Depending on which type of music it is, you're going to have some different goals. One of those goals, for instance, um, is to have a good message. That applies to both of them. They both need to have a message that fits their own style. So for worship music, that needs to be giving glory to God, quite obviously. That's a fairly standard thing to understand. And for more recreational music, the goal has to be that it is painting a picture, a realistic picture of the Christian life. And potentially, if there's any you know, sort of advice or morality attached to it, that's actually good biblical advice. They don't really hit up on that. So first I want to talk about artistic value. The artistic value of most Christian music is quite poor. So if you look at the the secular... Uh, music world. I want you to think of like the best songs ever made. So in recent years, you've got a lot of hits by like Adele and Beyonce. Those are kind of like the big. Uh, Coldplay I think has a few really big. Like Coldplay has um oh what's it? Viva la Vida, which is a really cool song about like the French Revolution. Yeah, you know, it kind of breaks some traditional uh, pop music. Trends, we'll put it that way. Yeah, what I mean by breaks the trend is it doesn't sing about sex, drugs, alcohols, and parties, unless you call the French Revolution a party, which I do not. But it's a great song. It's an epic song. It's wonderful, f- fantastic. And you've got other big hits. You think of any like the ballads of the seventies, eighties, nineties? Like people consider that like the golden age of music. Um, some people consider the forties the golden age of music. It's amazing music has come out of the past hundred years or so. But when you look at the Christian world, nothing matches up. Leonard Cohen is a pretty amazing songwriter, I think. He wrote the song Want It Darker. That was on his deathbed. That was a couple years ago he wrote it, and it's really deep. It's got amazing lyrics. He's great at writing lyrics and poetry. Uh, He also wrote and released in 1984 the song Hallelujah, which is possibly the most influential song in America of all time. And ironically enough, he's using Judeo-Christian language, and yet not that sort of a message. Technically, he was a Jew, but he was kind of just in everything, too. And he was using the term Hallelujah, which you would expect would be in some amazing Christian song. No, it's some amazing secular song about this guy's struggle with like sex and religion and it's not christian but it's a great song the christian world has nothing i mean nothing that rivals some of the incredible hits of the past 100 years which is you know the history of music being an industry is the past 100 years and it's not there christian music has such an underwhelming presence it's pathetic It's there. Christians have their own, like, the Dove Awards and stuff. But as far as making it into secular music, none of our stuff ever really gets big. And if it does get big, it's not for a good reason. It's not because it's amazing music. And that kind of raises an interesting issue when you think about it. Wouldn't you think that the Christian music would be better if I did an experiment? I had two guys, and I wanted them to make a pizza, okay? Okay. Now, one of these guys, he's not a chef, but he is super, super passionate about pizza, all right? The other guy, yeah, he's an okay cook, and he's okay with pizza, you know, it's it's good, it's okay, it's meh, I'll eat pizza. And I give them both the ingredients to make a pizza. Who's going to make the better pizza? It's totally going to be the guy who's more passionate about it. And yet, you don't see that. In Christian music, you would think that the Christians who are Guarantee you more passionate about anything someone is singing about in the secular world has the clearly and objectively inferior music. Just by artistic value, the sound of the music, the flow of the lyrics, the way it journeys you through something is never as good as the way the secular artists do it. That's infuriating and frustrating because you wouldn't expect that. On top of this, especially with worship music, God deserves better than that. You'd think that, you know, Taylor Swift's next ex-boyfriend isn't going to have a better song written about him than the God of the Universe gonna have written about? That's ridiculous. That's absurd. Why, why would it be that way? I am not personally a very artistic person. I know very little about music. However, I did catch a video one time by a guy named Josh Keith. He only has five videos on his YouTube, uh, but he's phenomenal. He's clearly some sort of an art or film student. And his first video was called The Problem with Christian Media. It was a two-parter. And in the intro to his first video, he said this. And this is after discussing how Christians are generally inferior to the secular artists out there. He says, as a Christian myself... I think that if we believe in an infinite creator who has used creativity to create the cosmos, and has put that very same creativity in us, we should be doing much more. If anybody should be making the most creative pieces in existence, I believe it should be those who believe in a creative being. Very interesting. That's not generally the case. In fact, if you were to listen to modern Christian radio, Air One, K-Love, you name it, It is incredibly repetitive, so repetitive. They all sound the same. They all have the same ambient computer generated notes and weird instruments that you can't name, but you know you've heard it in another song. They all have the same white person singing the same lyrics. It's really pathetic. You'd think we'd be able to do better, and yet we don't. That's not the only problem that we have with major Christian media, uh, music especially. There's another problem. There's a problem with the message that Christian music sends, and this is where I want to spend a lot of time here, because music has a way of affecting people in a really strong way. And if you have a message uh, embedded in a song that isn't a very good message, it has the potential to cause a lot of damage. So, first I want to talk about the way art works, um, or the message works in worship-styled music, and then I'll talk about the more contemporary, recreational music, we'll call it. So, as far as worship goes, the first thing that comes to mind is Hillsong. Okay. I absolutely loathe Most of Hillsong's music, and it's for this reason alone, it sounds great. The lyrics sound okay, but they are not. When you pull it apart, you realize that they're so screwy. When you look into the church it comes out of and their theology and their doctrine, it is very poor, very poor. And their music actually reflects that if you're paying attention. So almost every major Hillsong song song that has gone, you know, really big lately, past few years, has had major theological problems in it. So one is uh what a beautiful name. That song included this fun little line that says you didn't want heaven without us, so you brought heaven down. Huge huge problems with that. Uh and it that is the beginning of a pattern of self-centered worship. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But that song goes hand-in-hand hand with their human-centered gospel, which, of course, is not the gospel. Another song is uh, So Will I, 100 Billion Times, which, ah, oh, it, it stings because I actually really do like this song. As far as artistic value of a song goes... That song is really good, the way it journeys you through things, and it's written very beautifully. It's a good song. Until you make it into the middle of the song, where they just had to, they just had to do this to be controversial. They had to stick in a line about evolution, that creation is evolving in pursuit of what God says, which is just enough to, mm, it, it it irks Christians, and they know it does, they can't know that it doesn't. So that's really irritating and it sucks because it ruins the whole song for me at that point because I know that not only does it come from bad theology, but I also truly do believe that it comes out of a desire to be spiteful and to uh make a point almost and and to be controversial. I think the controversy uh continually pushes Hillsong into the spotlight and then they get popularity out of it which is not a good habit to be in. The big one that I want to spend a lot of time on is one that I keep hearing lately is uh, Who You Say I Am. So the reason I pick this thing apart so brutally is because, well, the chorus of the song goes like this. It says, Who the sun sets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. And it started to bug me a little bit because we'd we'd actually sing the song in church. I'd hear it on the radio and I'd hear it in church, which really upset me once I started to look into the song some more. And what bothered me was that the song had more references to self than it did to God. It was so funny. Now, mind you, this is supposed to be a worship song, so you'd think this is all about giving glory to God, right? No, it's not. It is about giving glory to the people who are singing it. Because the structure of the chorus, let me repeat those lines to you one more time. We're going to count how many references there are to God and how many references there are to man. Who the sun sets free, so that's one each, is free indeed. I'm, two to one, a child of God, two to two. Yes, I am. It is three to two. And so that actually bothered me. I know that's like that sounds super nitpicky, legalistic. Like, oh, there's three references to men and two references to God. No, this is actually a problem. So I started to look into this a little bit more. And mind you, that's a, a biblical language. I've recognized the verse there. It's uh, who the sun sets free is free indeed. Those are the words of Jesus. It comes out of John chapter 8. And I decided to look it up. I decided to put this into context and find out where Hillsong had taken their inspiration from. And I was actually laughing at this, okay? So that sounds like a nice little verse. You hear it and you say, okay, that's a Bible verse. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. You know, it's the words of Jesus. You can't can't screw that up, right? You can't have a a flaw with the song if it's actually coming out of the words of Jesus. And so you put it into context. And in John chapter 8, that verse comes up at the beginning of this giant argument that Jesus has with these Jews who are debating him. And he's talking about slaves and masters, and he says, you know, who the sun sets free. The slave is not a part of the house, but the son is. And if the son sets you free, then you're free indeed, okay? Nice little fortune cookie right there. You can just pluck that right out. And then you actually read what's going on in this conversation. It is Brutal. I mean, these people are just battling Jesus on every word. He says one thing, and they say another thing. And then he counters them. He's like, well, we didn't mean it that way. We meant it this way. And then it's just back and forth and back and forth. Uh, And if you look at John 8 in verse 54, now this is the real kicker. This comes out of the same conversation. He says, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, get this, I shall be a liar like you, get roasted, but I do know him and I keep his word. So it's so funny there how Jesus literally, now mind you, he had every right to bring honor to himself, and yet he condemns bringing honor to the self which is what the structure of the song does. The song that they plucked this verse out of this passage from. And if you go and listen to the song, you will find that it's more than just the number of references there are to self. You will find that the structure of the song actually emphasizes the references to self. So the big line in the chorus is that final Yes, I am, which is the most powerful line sung throughout the whole song. Like, yes, I am. What in the world? Like, that is so backwards. Who are are we singing to? What are we singing for? That's such an odd thing. You wouldn't expect that in a worship song because it shouldn't be there to begin with. And so it does irk me a little bit uh, every time I hear that song because... In that same passage they pluck this from, Jesus condemns self-honor, which is what that song is. It's not worship. And if you even make the argument, like, where does the worship come from in that song? Like, oh, God should be happy because we're implying that it's good to be a child of God. We're implying that, you know, that that's a good thing, that God, God must be good because of these implications. That is secondhand. No matter how you spin it, If you have to imply that something is good, are you really praising it? No. No, it's pathetic. And it shouldn't be that way. But then you go and you listen to the more recreational Christian music. My question whenever I hear that is, what makes it Christian? Okay? So, when you listen... If you go and you turn on Air One, which you can get Air One online at their online radio or in New England, it's 106.5 FM. You listen to a lot of Christian, you know, pop songs and they actually cut out references to God and it's strategic. And it's funny because you as a Christian hear it as a reference to God because you understand the context. But someone who isn't wouldn't see that. They cut out Names for God and replace it with you. Just you. Oh, you do this. You did this. I run to you. And the end result is, and this is so sneaky, they can play it on secular radio and no one will know the difference. Why in the world would you want to hide that? That's so frustrating whenever I hear that. And then a lot of contemporary Christian music is simply positive image music, which, by the way, you can get that in the secular world, too. It's actually everywhere in the secular world. Um. So one big one right now is You Say by Lauren Daigle, which is a good song. And, you know, everybody's happy. Hey, like, Lauren Daigle made it big. She was on Ellen. She was on this. She was on that. And, you know, Christian music is getting spread out. But is it any wonder that the song that is all about God saying nice things about you is the one that got spread into the secular world. It really shouldn't be. Of course they're going to want to hear that. That's anyone who gets into religion. They're like, oh yeah, you know, religion's good. That's what they mean is they like hearing that, which isn't necessarily the gospel. Oh, I hate to say that because I like Lauren Diggle and I like her music and I like that song. But you have to be careful with it, and then it gets put out into the secular world, and who knows what they do with it? Who knows what they think of it? And now they have that as backup for whatever messed up interpretation they have. Uh, some songs that are considered Christian don't even really matter. If you watch that video by Josh Keith, you will see that he makes a joke two, maybe three times about a song called Shake by Mercy Me. Which, I looked up the lyrics, and they are technically Christian, I think, but they're kind of dumb. And Josh, in his video, compares it to Taylor Swift's... um, I don't even remember. I'm so not a part of the secular music world. Um, But a a song about shaking by Taylor Swift that he compares it to, and he's like, this is clearly, clearly just being copied out of the secular world to make a Christian alternative so you can listen to something that isn't secular. But what's the point? Does that make it Christian just because Mercy Me is singing it? No. No, it's dumb. It was a bad idea. And so what really makes contemporary Christian music contemporary Christian music, you know? And that's where my biggest complaint is. So this applies to both worship and to the more contemporary recreational stuff that you listen to is this, this is how I quote it. I quote myself here, all right? Very concise language here. Biblical language does not equal biblical message. I'm gonna say that one again, because that's a really big line if you're going to go about and evaluate the music that you're listening to. Biblical language does not mean biblical message. That's not always something that's clear, because you hear it. You hear that Hillsong music, and it sounds great. You hear that Lauren Daigle song that went, you know, absolutely everywhere. Sounds great, right? Until you really start to think about it more. And you realize that just because something uses biblical language doesn't mean that it's actually giving you a good Christian language uh message. If you go and listen to Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, which the most popular versions aren't even sung by him, but he wrote it, and you listen to Hallelujah, and it's talking about, like, oh, it's King David, and, you know, it's singing Hallelujah, and all that, you know, that sounds so Christian, right? Yeah, until you realize he's talking about sex, and the Nazis, and cowboys shooting each other, and all kinds of other things. What part of that is actually Christian? None of it. None of it is. And it's the same deal with Hillsong, and I keep using Hillsong as the example, but there's others. There's other worship music, other Christian music out there that isn't really Christian, just using a Christian language that we just kind of accept as it is. And we need to be more critical than that. The Christian church has a really, really big problem, particularly in America, of being incredibly self-centered. And then we wonder where it comes from. It's in our music. It's everywhere. Maybe it didn't originate there, you know, chicken or the egg. But if we can eliminate that out of our music, get rid of this self-centered religion crap and put in what the gospel is supposed to be, we're not going to have this kind of a problem. We have to reform one or the other. I say it's easier to reform music first, and that will change the perceptions of people in the country second. Music really is that powerful. It can have that much impact on you. section here where i want to talk about what christian music could be and should be and what kind of music i think is out there that is already filling that that isn't necessarily in the popular circles uh without if you do watch josh keefe's video you'll see he goes into like this weird indie section and listen to that there are big major bands out there that have good music and you only hear maybe one song off one of their albums on the radio, but if you actually go and listen to it, there's actually a lot of gems out there. So, first of all, for worship music, what is the goal of worship music? What, what should it be? What could it be? Well, the first thing that it has to do is it has to give glory and praise and honor directly, all caps, bold italic underline, directly to God. None of this second-hand garbage, okay? None of this, well, I'm playing that it's good to be a child of God, which means that God should be happy that we're giving, you know, no. That's that's dumb. Don't do that. The second thing that it really has to do is it has to sustain that message and that glory with artistic brilliance, okay? Maybe it says, K God, you're awesome, and does a little drum beat, you know, that's it, that's it, that's the whole thing. Okay, well... You're not really feeling the whole effect of that, are you? Because there's no there's no art to it, okay? If it really wants to deliver that message powerfully, it has to do so with artistic brilliance. Examples of this, I think, are songs like these. And you'll notice pretty quickly as you see the music that I'm including here. That I have a pretty um, narrow and specific uh, genre of music that I like that I don't think you can necessarily name it, but you can kind of see the connecting dots there. So, first example for good worship music is In Wonder uh, by the Newsboys. I don't know if they wrote it. They do a lot of covers of worship music, but they're the only place I've heard it from. Uh, This is back uh, a few years back when they had the white guy singing for him. uh, Peter, like, Fuehler or something. Uh, He's Australian. His voice is amazing. And they sang this song, In Wonder. And the first verse is all about creation, and then the chorus is all creation, and the second verse is about, like, Jesus bridging the great divide, and the second chorus is both, and then, like, the whole thing, and it takes you through this journey and uses this epic language. And remember how I said in that Hillsong song, you know, Who You Say I Am, the emphasis, the big, like, powerful line in the song was, yes, I am, you know, saying, I am free, I am this, you know, very self-centered. The emphasis in Newsboys in wonder is the word wonder. It's you are a wonder. You, I'm left in wonder of you. You know, it. it's used beautifully and powerfully. And that's using lyrical genius combined with musical art, uh, artistic genius to create one whole unified amazing worship experience. Another is a song called Enough which I prefer a version by Barlow Girl because they're great, but I know they didn't write it. I think it was Chris Tomlin. I should probably look into that. I think it's Chris Tomlin, but it might be somebody else. But another great worship track, uh, Lead Me to the Cross. That's another song that is out there. You can find it by a lot of people. Again, my favorite one is by the Newsboys because that's just, they put it into the genre of music that I like. An original is Stars by Skillet. That came out a few years ago. I love Skillet. Oddly enough, while we're on the topic of artistic brilliance, so Skillet in 2016 came out with their Unleashed album, which has John Cooper dressed as a zombie in the front. Uh, it looks epic, but it's kind of weird. In the, like, why is he a zombie? And that album has some of my favorite music from them on it. Uh, and it has these two songs on it. One is Stars and one is Lions. And the deluxe album has a third that's like this called Brave. But... These are songs where the entire style of the album changes completely. So, most of the album is like really hard rock that uses themes of the zombie apocalypse, you know, not necessarily sings about zombie apocalypse, but it uses those kind of themes and imagery to get their point across. Or from like wrestling and boxing and like. It's really hardcore, the kind of vibes that they use. And, of course, the whole thing is supplemented by, like, incredible guitar, okay? So when you listen to Stars, Lions, and Brave, all of that goes completely out the window. And they're the worst tracks on the album. It's still, I think Stars is still a better worship track than a lot of others out there. But it's the worst Skillet song on the album. And you can tell the entire tone shifts. There is, all of a sudden, there's no guitar. It switches to those ambient computer-generated notes that I mentioned earlier, and this thing about, like, weird other things. So, S.T.A.R.S. is more worshipy, Lions is more just, like, contemporary, recreational, same with Brave. And if you listen through the album in order, okay, track number seven, I think it is, is Lions, okay, and that comes, like, right after another, like, zombie apocalypse hard rock song. Then you go to Lions, which is, like, your typical air one mediocre okay song, And the next one is one of my all-time favorite skillet songs of all time. It's called Out of Hell. Oh, yeah, that that sounds super Christian. It's great. It is perhaps their hardest rock song. Apparently, they were going for a vibe uh, of a metal band called Five Finger Death Punch. That's a long name. It sounds awesome. It uses angel and demon imagery. It uses one of the craziest guitar solos I've ever heard them do. Like, not the most intense, but, like, it sounds amazing. All this kind of stuff, this great song that has a completely different style than Lions. So why do they have these random songs in there that completely shift and almost ruin the Skillet style? It's for radio playability. I knew the second I heard that album, that those songs were put in there so that Skillet would still have a presence on Air One K-Love. And if you heard their music on the radio, you'd think, you know, Skillet's just another mediocre band. And then you open them up and you realize that they're this incredible... You know, they're one of the greatest rock bands of all time. But you wouldn't know that because of their little songs that are planted there. So that just goes towards, you know, artistic brilliance and stuff. But They're actually being pressed into having mediocre songs because you have to be mediocre or you don't get played on Christian radio. Uh, That is a big problem that we need to correct. Uh, But that said, even though Stars is probably the worst song on the Skillet Unleashed album, It is still a lot better than a lot of other worship music out there. I think the way that it uses its language, you know, similar to the other songs we talked about, it uses its language very well to take you through something. And, you know, all of it, in the end, gives glory to God in this cool way. And there's all kinds of other places you can go. For instance, like uh, Michael W. Smith uh, is a classic of the 90s. If you're really worried about getting a good message, okay, you can go and you can find worship music that is the psalms just straight you know translated out of hebrew into english put to song so a band for that i know is called the sons of korah which is great i was trying to research the book of psalms okay this is how i found these guys and i don't listen to their stuff but i know they're there um i was trying to research the actual sons of korah the people that actually wrote some of the psalms in the book of psalms and what came up was this 90s band of, like, a few dads, I think it was, who decided to do this band called the Sons of Korah, which is a really corny name. And all they did was put the songs to music. I don't know how good they are. I listened like, one or two of them. They're, like, decent, I guess. But you'll get at least a good message there because it's literally just translated straight out of the Bible. Uh, so there's all kinds of good worship you can find. I recommend just not following it blindly, okay? Uh... As far as contemporary music goes, the goals are pretty similar. Instead of giving glory to God, they, they still kind of do that. But really what their focus is, is to deal with topics that are in the regular Christian life. You know, it talks about outreach and struggles and this and that and, you know, the other thing. That's what it has to deal with. And the second goal is exactly the same as the first, uh, or the second goal in uh, worship music and that is to do it with artistic brilliance. The lyrics are crafted well, or are supposed to be crafted well. The music supplements it. They complement each other in all the right ways. The music emphasizes the right words and the right parts of the lyrics. That's the kind of art that we're looking for here. And examples I find of that are what I consider to be the best, or at least the most influential Christian song of all time, which is Jesus Freak by DC Talk. Um, although I did see, if you really like the Newsboys, uh, after Michael Tate, uh, became the lead singer of that, they did Jesus Freak again with some rapper I'd never heard of. Uh, and it kind of sounds better when they do it. It's a little less weird than the 90s DC talk, Jesus Freak. Uh, more Barlow Girl, Never Alone, great song, Skillet, What I Believe off of Rise in 2013. Uh, Reliant K is a band I listen to a lot. When I Go Down is this phenomenal song about uh, depression, I think it is. Suddenly by Toby Mac, another ex-DC Talk person who, um, well, in this song, Suddenly. Now, Toby Mac, of course. Toby Mac I find to be incredibly influential. I think he's one of the best Christian artists of all time. And Suddenly is one of my favorites from him because partly because it comes off an album i'm really nostalgic for but when you actually listen to it it's telling a story that's kind of modern but at the same time it's using subtle languages and parallelism to john chapter four which is the story of the woman at the well which is incredible i've written an article on it i really 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 like that passage And to hear music that kind of references that just a little bit, kind of parallels it, is great. So those are just a few examples. And you can find more. I've created in Google Play a playlist that contains all of that stuff, Uh, including more. I'll be constantly expanding it right now. It's got like 30-something songs. It's got Sanctus, Real, Newsboys, DC Talk, Skillet, Reliant Kale. And I will have a link to that on my Facebook page. It'll be pinned to my Facebook, probably. Uh, at the Christ-centered Facebook, and you can go listen to it. And maybe you don't like the same style of music that I like, but here's the deal. I really, really, really don't recommend listening to Christian radio. I just don't think it's effective. I don't think it's effective outreach, which they try to be outreach, by the way. They, They try to get their music pushed outwards. And I don't think it really does anything when it gets out there because it's not good music. A secular person has no reason to listen to it because it has no artistic value. And the lyrics are so generic that they don't teach you anything anyways. So I don't think they're very effective at that. And they're not good for Christians who are experienced Christians, you know, converted already, because they're not teaching you anything. They're not fostering good thought. They're just kind of there. They're vague. They do whatever. And again, they're not great music generally. So that leaves very, very few reasons to actually listen to it. So my recommendation is, you know, it's 2019, you probably have a cell phone or some other way that you can play music off of. And if you get a music subscription, so Google Play, of course, will let you just play music off of it. Whatever song is on it, which is pretty much every mainstream song ever, it's got like tons and tons and tons of music. You can just play it on Google Play, I think. Plus, with a premium, which I have, I have YouTube Premium, I got student discount on that, and, and, and I can download off of Google Play, no ads, no nothing, have entire libraries and playlists and albums on my phone, downloaded, ready to go, I can just play and listen to it. You can do a station, you can just pick a song or a playlist and make a station out of it and it'll start playing music that it finds kind of like that. So I recommend just jumping into that. You can do that through Spotify, Google, Apple Music, uh, even YouTube Music and find what kind of music that you're into. But with Christian Twist, like there's a lot of country out there. I think um, one person is Zach Williams. I think his name is. He's a Christian artist, but he does Kind of like bluegrass country music. It's good stuff. He sounds almost like uh, Mumford & Sons, who I know is a pretty popular band. My point is that you, it is my strong recommendation to you, that you would get one of these music services, whether you're paying for it or not. You know, you can do it. The difference is ads uh, and being able to download music. But you can get a free subscription to Spotify or Google Play or any of them. And just be able to play that music. And you'll have ads, or, but that's fine. If you've got unlimited data, just play it while you're in the car. Find a way to hook your phone up to your car and play that music instead. It will do more for you than Air One. Guaranteed. Like Air One, Caleb, other Christian radio stations, they have nothing on you actively searching out your type of music and the type of stuff that has a good message. And where those overlap, find that band, that little Venn diagram, and get the music that is good for you. And put that into a phone, put that into something you can play off of just when you're doing whatever, when you're driving, when you're doing the laundry, yada, yada, yada. So that is my recommendation to you. But I'm not an expert on this type of stuff. For instance, like I said, for whatever reason, our worship leaders seem okay with that Hillsong song. I'm not. But the whole point of these, recall if you listen to my introductory podcast, that my plan is not to be an expert on anything, but to discuss everything. So if you think that at the very least, or I have been some sort of a thought provoking influence on you, that you've been able to at least think through this a little bit, put some critical thought towards the music that you're listening to, particularly Christian music, and work on this for yourselves. If you found that to be the case, then I would ask you to try and share this around because I really, really want this to break just the circle of people that I know. I'm sure there are tons of people out there that I don't know, that you know, that would probably love to hear stuff like this or would benefit from this. So it's my hope that this would just get out there to those people. And hopefully we can make some sort of a difference. My hope is that if we... As a collective whole, stop listening to the vague, bland, Christian music that's out there with bad messages and all that, and start to encourage the good, then that's what the radio stations and the recording companies are actually going to lean towards. But for now, we gotta do that, the the labor on our own. So, spread this around, let's see if we can make a movement out of this. And I'd love to hear what thoughts you have. If you have music you really like... Uh, send it to me. Send it. You can always do a direct message to the page. You can comment on the post this is linked to. Just whatever. Send it and see if we can get a thread going of good music that has good message, great artistic value, great lyrics, so on and so forth. It's not everything that's out there, but it's definitely out there. You can definitely find it. All right. That is all for today's podcast. I will see you guys next time. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. But I hope to be talking about it. I'll see you guys.